0: can you no know, i mean we're just rolling
1: just rolling we're rolling, rolling right now
0: rolling, yep. Rolling, so we can start rolling. whenever we want
1: it's starting
0: uh hey everybody welcome to another episode of we're calling it Woo. episode three uh i'm connor clifton joined with emily hines and Hello. maria Haig. hi hey y'all do you want maria Heg or maria elisa Heg?
2: oh um, yeah, Maria is more of my entertainment persona. More of my, you know. Well, we'll keep the uh, never the Twain shall meet,
0: mm-hmm.
2: except okay. not when you said them both.
0: Okay, I'll bleep. I'll bleep out your middle name. Uh, yeah, is both.
2: your? Na- do you like to go by Maria or fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Which is always what I hear when somebody bleeps out a name. I'm just like, oh, so you named your kid shit. <laughs> So now that
1: yeah, you can enjoy TV like I do. It's a pretty reasonable assumption. <laughs> You're right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> with what people are naming their kids these days. Come on. John. <laughs> Pete. My God. We have so much to talk about. Four whole things. We have four whole things to talk about. Uh, we're going to start with some Houston uh, drama that's going on. Emily, do you want to lead the discussion on the Houston housing drama?
1: I would love to. Um Here's what happened. So, at a special meeting, it was it was a housing and committee or housing and community community affairs committee meeting. So it wasn't like a regular city council meeting. So I actually was not in attendance. I didn't go. I but several people actually texted me while it was going on. They were like, "Oh my god!" and I didn't know what was going on, so I had to look it up. So that was funny. Like people know that. I'm like, I'm the person to message with like city council (laughs) excitement. Um, So basically Tom McCasland, who is the former housing director for the city of Houston. Now he was the actual housing director for the city of Houston at the time of this meeting, basically came to this meeting and made some allegations against mayor Turner that he was uh, basically favoring a certain developer that we later came to find out that mayor Turner's, former law partner was involved with financially, um, over, uh, this is all for affordable housing as well. So favoring this affordable housing developer over, um, affordable housing developments that the housing department recommended and that they claimed would serve more people for the same amount of money. And he had a lot of good quotables. He said, um, let me let me find some. He said that uh, basically Mayor Turner is bankrolling a certain developer to the detriment of uh, hardworking, low income families in Houston. And um, he also, man, he had a, he had a, it was a, a lot. And also the, the there's some technical difficulties at the meeting. So it was really hard for people who were watching it to follow it. It's up now. So if you want to watch the meeting, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, you can go back and watch it. Um Unfortunately, nothing was really uh, investigated further at that meeting. You know, Chair Thomas uh, kind of just everyone's taken aback. Um, Chair Thomas said, uh, OK, we need time to digest this. I wish Mayor Turner or someone from his office was here to answer these allegations. And then they just moved on with the rest of the agenda and didn't address it at all which is strange in my opinion <laughs>
2: well there was a subsequent meeting not I think it was last week or something right where there was yeah and then instead of actually discussing the allegations that Tom had made about this uh, favorable and very shady looking deal um, they just paid they really focused heavily on the fact that the um, department had overspent last year and from what I found it was they overspent and basically dispersing funds for Harvey relief. And um, n- you know, numerous people at that meeting were like, I thought we were here to talk about the allegations about this project and how it was awarded, and we're spending a lot of time talking about the so-called or the alleged mismanagement of the fund. So it's very much like they were on the attack and trying to really take the attention away. It was an obvious deflection. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And right. it worked. The three-man coalition of Greg Travis... Uh, Mike Knox and
1: Kubosh, Kubosh
0: yeah. all took debate. And as soon as they heard about overspending, they're like, well, that is a very pressing issue. And we need to talk about that extensively. Yeah. There was a very long meeting. I only made it about two hours before Golly. I had to walk away from it yeah well
2: I mean they did put the Kabosh on the <laughs> proposed um, Huntington at Bay Area project which I have a lot of thoughts about because the numbers on the proposed or the project they were gonna move forward with versus the one that the uh, department favored I mean the discrepancies are really really intense
0: yeah
2: um, so I have like some I have some schemas and graphics here yeah um, she took notes I took notes. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot coming from you, actually. Um, Okay, so basically, here's the whole deal with um, the Huntington at Bay Area project. First thing is that the city recommended four projects that would have used $16.2 million in city money to help finance 362 affordable units. Whereas the Project Turner's administration selected would... Use 15 million for one project with 88 affordable units. And that's according to an article by the, in the Chronicle by Dylan McGinnis, Mike Morris, and staff writers. Um, it's absolutely like totally obscene the discrepancy the amount of money that would cost and the number of units um, the other thing about the proposed huntington bay area housing project is that it is a one plus five or five over one building style which if you don't know what that is you know what it is because you've driven around houston lately and have seen the unbelievable rate of construction of these very sh- shoddy looking apartments frankly no and the thing about these type five structures which they are coded by the international building code is that they are And this is not really like not known, but it's they are the cheapest to build for the materials that are used. Um, They were not always actually like sanctioned. This is not like a thing that we've been building forever, obviously, but they are uh, wood framed. So four to five wood frame stories above a concrete podium, usually a retail or like a parking lot. And they allow for most of this wood framing building to be wood. So they're lightweight, they're cheap to build, and they are the most flammable residential structure type like mm. the explosion of type five buildings have been revolutionary in the building industry because they're cheap and quick and they generate insane amounts of income because you don't even have to fill the occupancy of the building for the developer the money is in getting the contract to do the build but firefighters are having to deal with these in situations of fire because the buildings collapse because they're completely made of wood and drywall they're totally so this it really inflated budget for the project going to the developer a really small number going to affordable yeah. units and made in the cheapest and most dangerous way, still allowed by the international building code. That was very much like.
1: I'd like to cycle back to the small number of affordable units too, because people think that we're building these uh, when when it says we're we're doing an affordable home development. They think that this whole development is going to be affordable housing, and it's not. It's a dedicated percentage, and it's it's not even. It's not even really serving the the people the lowest income people. There's there's sort of tiers, um, you know, that uh, and it's all based on medium income. So they'll say like, okay, this uh lov- this number of apartments or units or whatever will be available at this income level and this number of apartments will be available at this income level and the rest will just be at market market value, which is inflated and high and doesn't really serve the low income community. So I find that pretty frustrating as well. And that's something that Mr. McCaslin spoke to as well in his comments was um, he said basically, and I'm not reading this, so it's not a quote, but basically said when I came to this department, my commitment was to provide affordable housing for the most people possible. And this, these types of developments don't do that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's really, really, um, you know, sus is that the like group that formed to do the proposal um, reported that they had no experience with state tax credit process. And they formed their company on December 29th, 2020, just weeks before the proposal was Um. first filed. So... This is clearly, you know, I mean, it's fine to scramble together a business entity to do a proposal, but the prior links with the mayor and the obvious profitability of this project. I mean, it just looks like a very chummy backroom deal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And from the start, uh, Mayor Turner's response to McCaslin's accusations or however you want to say it was, I haven't done anything illegal he didn't say anything illegal happened. There was no fraud. Uh, I don't know what everyone's so upset about. And being really on the offense and just keep keep hammering this. I didn't do anything illegal. There's there no alleged fraud, blah, 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 blah. And like just it's very a lawyerly thing to say, you yeah. know, um, which we have to expect from politicians. It's just really frustrating because there is a difference between the law and ethics. Yes. And I want our government to understand both, but operate on the side of ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's also like the old, like sort of political savvy adage
2: about the appearance of impropriety. I mean, really, what he's doing is he's responding to the appearance of impropriety. And honestly, on an ethical level, I mean, I have been fortunate enough to know Tom. I, I got to know him years ago when I was involved with an art like event organizing team, and he was a really awesome attendee of the event and a really dedicated person i mean from the day i met him he was dedicated to making houston a better place like when i first heard about this i instantly knew like tom knows what he's talking about tom has the best interests of the department and the people it serves at heart like at his core he is dedicated to the work he does
0: you you were not the first person to have told me they had like a very positive interaction and working experience with tom Yes, Um, he is truly
2: like I see him as a completely trustworthy person. I think his experience, his hard work and his dedication, like I trust him. And honestly, we don't have the same track record for Mayor Turner. So when I heard what he said, I said, he's right, whatever it is, he's right. And after I started actually reading and looking into it, yeah, he's right.
1: Yeah. So basically going forward, uh, what will happen is there was this um, special called committee meeting that Maria mentioned. Connor attended. Nothing really came of it. They didn't really address uh, they didn't address the core issues right. that they set out to do. It yeah. was just a major deflection talking about um, overspending at the housing department, which, of course, there's overspending at the housing department. We don't fund it enough. Like
0: yeah.
1: I don't understand why. Right, Why, that was a big surprise
0: well they also there was a moment where they indicated that uh tom's wife has some influence over how that the she auditing of- process is going i totally i you can't rewind and uh the subtitling is terrible on them so i didn't really catch exactly what her position was but she is involved in the auditing process of the housing department and when that was mentioned both council member robinson no Martin, Dave Martin, and Tiffany Thomas both went boom. As if it was this big, like, there you go. Mayor Turner is absolved of all sins. Whatever, Boom with uh, the word that they used. That is crazy. And corny. <laughs> like, yeah. <geez>. Uh, <laughs>
1: well,
2: she's part of some, I thought she was like part of a nonprofit that helped connect people to the department services and had nothing actually to do with their financials at all. Um, I can't remember exactly. I didn't print out the whole article and bring it with me that I read. But it was pretty clear that she had like a professional like relationship with the department insofar as she was getting people to them. Um, you can tell me if I'm mistaken on that. I don't believe it.
1: put out a statement, too, that was very transparent about his wife's involvement with auditing and also that it was totally cleared by the city and her or her company never received any right. um, city finances. So I, I, I think that was just another a deflective tactic. Um, I find it really disappointing that so many of the council members are just, like, team turner you know
0: it's because he has the i do really believe it has a lot to do with he has final say and what gets on the agenda and if you're not on team turner your constituents are going to be sorely disappointed because nothing you bring to the table will be heard uh and he knows it
2: didn't tom make a statement sort of to that effect yeah
0: Um, he critiqued
1: the strong mayor system at the end of his comments
0: culture of corruption
1: right yeah uh and that so sort of to speak to just kind of what happened at council around all of this, um, Councilmember Kubosh brought it up repeatedly he was the one really driving the the conversation at city council meetings about this like we need to get it done we need to clear the air you know etc he called himself a bulldog um and he did Fine. he really he, he kind he, of he
0: was very much a bulldog in he did
1: meeting. yeah this is the only time that i've seen him behave in such a way and um i was behind him i thought that it should be brought up and i thought the mayor was being a bully and trying to get people to shut up about it so i appreciate mm-hmm. Um, Councilmember Kubosh uh, repeatedly bringing it up, butting heads with Mayor Turner repeatedly. Like, that's a brave thing to do. Yeah. Um, Michael
0: Kubosh, welcome to the resistance.
1: I know. Thank God. you. <laughs> Matthew <laughs> conhey Michael Kubosh.
0: <laughs> Kiki
2: Friedman, though?
0: Are you listing my dream <laughs> ticket? <Yeah.
1: laughs> oh. So now uh, the Turner administration is under investigation by the Harris County DA, by uh, HUD, and okay. uh, the GLO. All right. So, and it, it's my um, feeling that Mayor Turner will be much more quiet about this now um, that he is getting some uh, actual federal yeah. investigations going on. There's also a city, uh, city investigation going on. I read that the city legal department, <laughs> this is funny wants to uh, you know outsource it to a uh, to a legal firm and there it'll be on the agenda soon to spend $275,000 on hiring this legal firm to investigate uh among other things overspending at the housing department
0: oh my fucking god yeah what can you say I I don't know well it's I don't think Kim Og is really gonna hammer down on Mayor Turner so I can see an outside investigation being beneficial but thank That's what I'm glad HUD and the GLO are doing.
1: I wish that our um, ethics committee could do an investigation. I understand that because of our strong mayor system, it would not be very rigorous. I just wish that wasn't the case. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank God Mayor Turner said that on what the last election day of his last term, then Houstonians can vote on whether or not. Other people, or what is it, it's the proposed amendment to the City of Houston Charter. Oh, yeah. That will allow at least, if two council members sign off on something, then it gets put on the agenda. Three. Three, my yeah. mistake. Three. Um, yeah, still easier than just, like, trying to get Mayor Turner to yeah, do Yeah,
1: so it, it definitely weaken the strong mayor hold on the agenda. Which would be great,
0: and then we'll have a coalition city council government. That'll be so interesting to watch. Yes. So
1: Emily takes notes. Officially endorses this. Is does we're calling it officially endorse this. Yes. Proposition. Mm. Whenever it comes, I up? endorse
0: it on Emily takes notes, but I don't endorse it here. <laughs> I'm Wait
1: here for the drama, so I feel like this is
2: really going to bump up the action.
0: Uh, it'll be very. Yeah, you're right. It'll it'll involve more. Uh, you know backroom room deals and people like really working to try and get something done uh, it'll be interesting i'm I'm curious to see what alliances will form within the new city council. I think
1: yeah. we can guess already. <laughs> I know what they are. We'll have to do the bracket system, well, yeah,
0: isn't there going to be a big uh um like the majority of city councils going to be new people by the time this charter amendment gets voted on.
1: I'll have to look it up. I there were I want to say like half are noobs and half are okay. this is their last term, but I'm not totally sure. Okay. I also
2: find it really obnoxious that Mary Turner is like on the last day, you can
1: vote on it, but well, it's bas- it's also kind of
2: like the energy of like. You guys don't know how good you have it. When I'm gone, you're going to miss me. Or, like, you know, the mom who's always like, I hago todo aquí. Cuando me muero, ustedes no van a saber qué hacer. Like, when I die, you guys are not going to know what you do yourself. And it's like, mom, we do everything. Or, like, whatever. Uh, you know, it's like Mayor Turner is kind of like preparing for there to be some kind of a fallout when we realize what a great leader we had in him. Like,
1: okay. he definitely described his, uh, his, track record as impeccable (laughs) quote uh during one of these meetings and like so my my this really solidified my view of mayor turner as a bully um i have felt that way since day one of watching city council and watching him interact with these other people he's a bully it's very um do what i say not what i do or do it because i said so because that's just the way it is um and i don't like it
0: Yeah. yeah No, I'm not a fan of that kind of politics either. It is not a politics of cooperation. No. All right. Do we have anything more that we want to say on the housing? And should we move on to our next topic? Anything else?
1: Ready to move on.
0: on. All right, Maria, why don't you tell us about how the state of Texas is redrawing their congressional districts?
2: Well, uh, very late in the uh, now-finished session, I guess.
0: It is now finished, but Dan Patrick says we need a fourth. Oh, my good God.
2: (laughs) Well, basically, uh, the redistricting process was completed, and the maps are pretty horrific. So, excuse me, I've got a few quotes like, that I've sort of drawn from the Tribune, and I have some images of the new districts, which are, like, truly insane. Um, so basically what happened is that the districts that were redrawn, we gained two new seats. Yep. And I think we created three new districts, mm-hmm. and each one of them was used in an area that experienced some of the most growth in non-white population. So, um, like... Fort Worth, Dallas, Austin, and Houston, obviously. Um, And so what they did was they basically turned, for instance, there is um, Collin County, I guess, Texas 4, which has seen a growth in its total Asian population from 15,000 in 2010 to nearly 103,000 in 2020. Um, They will see the strength of their vote diminish in a district where white people will suddenly make up 73.9% of eligible voters. And... Where in text three, for instance, the share of voters that have reached 10.8%, new maps cut it to 5.6%. So basically the number of districts controlled by non-white and historically, but not always, I want to draw anyone as a monolith, don't vote Republican. Yeah. Their power has been diminished. Um, in some cases, I think there's like for, for black voters, they there is no district where they are a majority. And there was one, which not great. Um, so, yeah, the picture that I s- passed to you and that I'm sharing to you, Connor, for anybody who's seen Dan Patrick's district, it's just more of that. And I think I actually pasted the same picture twice, but whatever. So it's really s- tiny little gooseneck connections, yeah. strange appendages coming out. I mean, what it's doing is obviously capturing suburban white votes and drawing urban, quote unquote, yeah. districts in, um, which, you know. Basically, it's uh, it's pretty bad. And uh, I printed out this whole article, but I didn't have time to highlight it, so I'm not going to f- shuffle through it. <laughs> um, but I will say that, you know, since the census, um, you know, Texans of color accounted for 95% of the state's population growth, which means that non-white Hispanic, non-Hispanic white Texans now make up 39.8% of the state's population, down from 45% in 2010. But their political power has seen an increase of like let me see here i'm trying to figure out like what okay it's a lot sorry (laughs) i don't have my data i was way on the like type five building when i was making my notes for the housing thing and i was like i ran out of time to do the district map but of course like we we've seen it you know they they wait till late at night they redraw the districts yep
0: and they ignore everyone saying like please don't do this to us yeah they did listen they thought about the Republicans wanted to combine Sheila Jackson Lee and Al Green's seat,
2: forcing them to run against each other, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: So giving take eliminating one seat of a black representative in a black neighborhood and just saying like, "Hey, black people, you get one Houstonian." Yeah, it's very gross, and that got rejected. And I, what I read was like that was one of the big ones that they listened to and said, "Fine, we won't do it." But for the most part, they ignored. All pushback. They ignored all pleas and calls for like, please don't do this to us. And they just move forward with it.
1: Well, there are lawsuits that have been filed. So Mm -hmm. at least it's being challenged. And if the uh, Voting Rights Act gets passed, I imagine it will affect redistricting in general. Like maybe we'll have to retroactively adjust some stuff we'll see so uh call joe manchin and Kristen cinema oh my god <laughs> what are you
0: gonna call them <laughs> bullshit yeah <laughs> fuck those two god seriously oh, i get so mad thinking about those two clowns
2: well i think if anything any challenge to these redraws would inherently i guess be a challenge to all of the totally bonkers districts that we know have already been during this i mean it's just that this is this is 2020 so another decade has passed we get to do more i mean I don't know off the top of my head how it went in 2010, but just a random guess mm-hmm. probably resulted in similar whack districts. And it's going to, you know. I mean, at a certain point, it has to be so overwhelmingly obvious what they're doing. Though. I believe
0: 2010's redistricting resulted in Dan Crenshaw's district.
2: I mean, it, right?
1: It's yes. of a type.
0: It, it, it definitely, this is more of the same from uh, the census redistricting I think efforts.
1: Excuse me. I think it's also frustrating because uh, the 2020 census was probably not a great census, you know? Yeah. Like, we're in the middle of pandemic. We had Donald Trump really trying to fuck Damn it up. Yeah. yeah, you know? Like, well, people, are, people were afraid to respond to the census
2: in yeah. mm-hmm. a time when they're not sure if that means that they're going to be put on a record that may result in their door getting kicked down by ICE. You yeah. know what I mean?
1: So it's frustrating to have this redistricting even happen, you know? It feels yeah. like...
2: What I don't understand is why, and again, this is like the meta narrative of Democrats, I guess. Like, why are we asking them not to? I mean, like, literally the Republicans who did this, they were like, no, yeah, we're not interested in what you're interested in. The reason we're doing this is a series of priorities, including partisanship and keeping communities of interest together. So they're literally like, yeah, no, we want to consolidate our power, obviously. Yeah,
1: That's what politics is. I mean, yes, it
2: is, which is like... Why do they get to be bald about their – like, why are we always like, please don't redraw the district and disfranchise all my, uh, the voters? Like, why can't there be – I don't know. Ugh.
0: Because we say please and thank you. Well, I say we. I don't consider myself a Democrat. The Democrats but the say Democrat, please and thank you. The Democrats say please and thank you because they want to get – you know, they're the consent manufacturing party, and the Republicans are the like, this is capital in motion. This is like us taking what we want. And that's what I think Democrats should start doing if they want to have any kind of success in the state. But that's my opinion.
2: Well, we don't have the power to do any redistricting, so all we can do is challenge it. I mean, I'm looking at CD4 right now. It's literally like they're like, let's rope specifically Plano. Mm -hmm. into our district because everywhere else went too hard on the mic um everywhere else is like tending towards like diverse populations and since Plano is denser they're like just snag it up and this district is literally like a ring around Collin and Hunt counties and it's just like what I just cannot look at these and not lose my mind. So I'm going to turn the page over and not look at these districts anymore.
1: I think. For the sake of Maria's mental health, should we move on? I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm both infuriated
2: and lacking as much data as I had hoped I'd
1: get. We able could. To gather.
0: I just want to say, to your point about, like, why aren't Democrats... Why do they only have to say please and thank you? Why can't they do anything else? And I think they need to take a page out of Trump's book and just make fun of people like Briscoe Kane. Are y'all familiar with how he dresses? Yes, yes. Yeah, they need to just clown on him and make him feel small and then they'll get what they want. It worked. No, because... We saw any- in the past four years, that tactic worked.
2: I don't know. Any time, like, like, Republicans have no issues like being, you know, inordinately offensive and brutal in their personal attacks. But if any Democrat says like, hey, Briscoe, you look kind of like a goofy ass clown they're like well that's highly offensive and this is a divisive discourse that we can't have and this is what politics like they're just so good at turning it around to be the victim yeah they are the snowflake they're so good at this double reverse speak
0: yeah they they just have no shame they're they're okay with doing it and democrats will clutch their pearls and try to set a moral standard that when it comes, when push comes to shove, they're like, fuck, we wish it was in such a moral standard. We wish we could go down to the low road. I think.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't know. Okay.
2: Well, the districts are bad and uh, follow that. Hopefully there'll be some challenges.
0: Yeah. Well, we can move on to the next topic here. And that is uh, a statewide, another statewide story about uh, elections next year. Mike Collier gave a uh, interview with the Texas Tribune. Now, he announced that he was running for lieutenant governor back in April, but he gave an interview with the Texas Tribune. The headline is, Mike Collier wants a rematch against lieutenant governor Dan Patrick. But first, he's got to beat fellow Democrat Matthew Dowd. That's right. He had the primary challenger in Matthew Dowd. Now, uh, Matthew Dowd, the article's a little not well organized because dowd pops up a little too near the end but first off matthew dowd is a former democrat who became a republican and worked for the george w bush uh, administration and then he became a democrat again now he's a strategist for bush And in 2007, he decided he wanted to be a Democrat because he didn't like how Bush was handling the Iraq War. So he waited five years and saw how primary season was shaking out Was like, oh, I'm a Democrat now. Never mind. He then goes off to be a talking head on ABC News, and he thinks that's going to help him win in Texas. He thinks "Uh, Democrats are going to vote for me because they see me on ABC News. I've never fucking heard of him. I've
2: never heard of this guy.
0: (laughs) No. Uh, But I did plenty of research to find out that he's quite a clown. If he thinks that he can go Democrat to Republican to Democrat and get all these votes. Because I think Texas...
2: He's a Dino and a Reno.
0: (laughs) Yes, he really is. Yeah, he's a snake oil salesman. People who shift their party affiliations to win. There's There's a guy in Houston who runs for DA every now and then as a different ticket. And I can't remember. Something Oliver... Oh man, this I don't guy. I know,
2: though. You kind of got to hand it to him. in, a, in a, like a world where Republicans, you know, for a lot of Trump's administration, were like, it's not my party anymore. But like, yeah. would not stop being in the Republican Party. Like, I feel like we're in a place discursively where public figures actually aren't allowed to change their minds or have a epiphany.
0: That's true. I I'll give you credit on that. However, he went Democrat to Republican to Democrat. And that just feels a little savvy. Yeah, it's like you're you're really trying to hold on to your power. Hey, maybe Which, they
1: redrew the district. <laughs> I don't. I mean, that doesn't really bother me. And the fact that he was like a TV host doesn't bother me either because Donald Trump was president. You oh, know? he's not a host. Well, I did have a he's, a, with he's that. an analyst that people. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> he's a pundit.
0: Yeah, yeah. he's Just the guy they bring on. Every so now he and
1: thinks then. people will recognize him because he was sometimes brought on to talk on ABC. TV news shows. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Which I don't think is going to help him here in Texas. Yeah. Uh, Now, Mike Collier, he really thinks he can win based on Beto's numbers in 2018 and how he came within two points of Ted Cruz. He thinks that's going to carry him all the way because he did better than Beto in rural counties during that year. Now, I want to break down how that election actually shook out (laughs) for old Mike. Keep in mind, Beto came within two points of Ted Cruz. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Dan Patrick, who ultimately won uh, with 51.3% of the vote, as opposed to Mike Collier's uh, 46.5% of the vote, and 2.2% going to Carrie McKinnon, the Libertarian candidate. Even if Mike got those 2.2%, he would not have won. Yeah, um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think Democrats using Ted Cruz's and Beto's results is just—it's not a good— indicator for democratic success. We only have to look at how Trump and Cornyn did in 2020 to see that like Ted Beto was not as beloved as much as people just were done and sick of Ted Cruz. So I don't think that that's a good reason for Mike Collier to say he's going to win. Now he is calling for funding public schools and fixing the grid. He is hammering on Dan Patrick for saying, I believe in public school funding yet. He won't do it. And Dan Patrick's failure to get any legislation pushed through the several legislative sessions uh, on reversing the 1.6 billion in uh, power bills.
2: Oh yeah, that we're all well, to six, pay back. no
0: 16 billion in elect- electricity charges that were racked up during the winter storms. Uh, he failed to get it pushed through. Now. Even when he has called for a fourth special session, he has made no mention of trying to push through the public utilities commission bill that he wants to push. So I don't think that's – I think that will actually help Mike um, in the elections if people remember it. Now he's honestly,
2: all- I was going to say another bad winter would probably help the election. Knock right. on wood.
1: I really don't want that. But right.
0: That's a weird thing of like people's
2: memories are short.
0: They are very short.
1: I think the grid, though, I and people are still talking about it. People are still talking about the winter storm. Like it was such a major event. I don't think that people are going to forget about it.
0: Yeah.
2: And I guess technically, if you do look at your electricity bill every month, some party was like. They're pushing on this like the cost. They're pushing their savings onto yeah. themselves by pushing the cost onto every single consumer. That's a good yeah. point.
0: Because if if Patrick cannot get this bill pushed uh, to change the rates, then or to get um, to reverse those rates then, yeah, that's going to be something that people feel all the way up to election day next year. You're right.
1: And I think the more politicians talk about the grid and talk about the winter yeah. storm and don't let people forget about it, I think that is important. I, If I were running, I would definitely be making the grid a priority and talking about it a lot.
0: Yeah. The grid's going to become Texas' 9-11 that people just, like, throw out to get people really upset Dang. and to get people wowed up. It could be. Because – this, I mean – It should. Another thing about this grid situation, and I don't mean to be a negative Nancy about it, but this idea that when it happened, people were quick to point out that we had a freeze in 2010, and they still didn't winterize it. Yeah. So may I don't know if the grid has been that helpful of a political tool in elections, but then again – uh, Winterstorm storm uri was quite terrible this was a lot worse
2: well the question i guess is really at the end of the day to the voter you know do they believe that they have a right to not be unfairly charged for the failure of a company to prepare or do they believe that companies should be free from undue regulation and pressure by government
0: definitely the sweating superman at the yeah <laughs> like
2: die don't die except it's like winterized don't winter you know like, yeah Because for a lot of people, and I feel like I bring it up every fucking episode, the, like, ideology of resisting the idea of too much regulation. Like, people are in this place where they would really almost rather, like, I mean, a lot of them say, I would rather die.
0: I, Dan Patrick famous quote of old people would rather die than let the economy fall apart.
2: Yeah, man. Throw yourself in the <laughs> ring, old man. But of course he didn't. But yeah, I I do wonder because to me, I feel like those are equally strong like choices for somebody who doesn't want to be charged because they want their money. Yeah. You know, they don't even want to be taxed or, well, I don't really approve of the government making companies do anything. Yeah. Period.
0: Yeah. Um, one thing to tie back to, uh, Dowd and Collier, and this is something that I think is actually going to help Matthew Dowd, is that Mike Collier was also a Republican who became a Democrat.
1: Well, well, well. He voted against <laughs>
0: Barack Obama both times. Wow. But he served as a senior policy advisor for Joe Biden's campaign in 2020. So, if he does decide to attack Dowd for, like, you were a Republican who became a Democrat, Dowd but be like, you're a Republican you a Democrat, Democrat.
1: And they're both going and to that be be like, lose. And that be like, such a productive discourse. Yeah, but,
0: but you're a Democrat who became a Republican <laughs> who became a Democrat. <laughs> Everybody just,
1: like, <laughs> dies instantly. Yeah,
0: it's just going to be back. Oh, God, I love election season. What a nightmare.
2: <laughs> Our great national morass. Now,
0: Mike Collier also said... He would focus on expanding Medicaid in Texas and and controlling the increase of property taxes. So he's going to be like, less taxes, fix the grid. But How
1: does that work? I don't
0: fucking know. I don't know, man. Now, that's the people like, we need a stronger defense and less taxes. Oh, man. I don't know how we're going to pull it off. Let's see here. One other thing that I wanted to point out. All right. He does um, – Ali S. Zaidi, who is the deputy cam- campaign manager for Mike Collier, did point out, in contrast, Matthew Dow was chief advisor – I'll read the whole quote just to just be clear. Mike Collier was senior advisor to President Joe Biden, who has delivered millions of vaccines – Texas don't like that – ended a two-decade war – Texas don't like that – and restored America's standing on the global stage. Texas could like that. I don't know. Depends I don't think they the like it. Is this a
1: quote or not? I thought you were quoting. <laughs> it's an editorialized <laughs> quote, <laughs>
2: Emily.
0: It's a quote. It's a quote with uh, brackets. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> no, it.
2: It's plain that. Yeah, it's tool times playing in the background. Yeah. Okay.
0: In contrast, Matthew Dowd was chief advisor for George W. Bush, who started two wars, tanked the global economy, and appointed the deciding Supreme Court vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Collier has worked over the past decade to build the Texas Democratic Party, and, Tex- and Democrats will have a clear choice in 2022.
1: God. It doesn't seem very clear.
0: It doesn't seem clear. Mm-mm. It really doesn't. And I'm- as if he has worked hard over the past decade, like... I feel like I know more about him and well, be more of a public facing faith instead of like he ran once against Dan Patrick and lost. Yeah. And now he's running again.
2: Did y'all really were y'all really like super familiar with Beto O'Rourke before he decided to make his big bid?
0: No. That's, no. Not Do You know really. why
2: everybody in America knows him? Because he fucking did an ollie once. You know, like there's a picture of him skate. Like we need, like Democrats in Texas have to overcome this huge barrier. We need somebody hyper charismatic, which Beto for a politician was. Now,
0: is, is. a hyper charismatic person in Texas. I think I know just a man for the job.
1: If you say kinky again. No. I, I, I might. <laughs>
0: he's, he's too old. But my man, McConaughey. No. <laughs>
1: no.
2: no! Well, that's
0: what, that's what made me a little disappointed in this article about Collier, is that he does say that he really hopes that Beto O'Rourke runs. He thinks that they could compare notes and really do well together. And I'm like, oh, man, I just don't know. I just don't know about Beto for governor. We talked about it, uh, I believe, in the last episode, but has anyone warmed up to Beto as governor? I know he said that he's now thinking about it, which Axios ran it. He's totally going to do it. He's running.
1: Right. To senator, I don't care, you know, <laughs> like if he runs, I'll vote for him. A- yeah. Uh, but I don't really care, I don't love Beto as a politician. I like him more than any other person who would run as a Republican candidate, yeah, yeah. is how I feel. Also, how I feel about Matthew McConaughey, I don't care <laughs> really I- not much, <laughs> but I'll vote for you yeah. if you run as the Democratic candidate or Libertarian or whatever. So, I don't even know.
0: that's yeah. on that, because. I do care about McConaughey running only because I think that he would run as a third party candidate. And I do think that could make an impact in Texas. I think that'd be uh, a new trend that becomes something really important 10 years down the road if McConaughey did run. Like, I just want to see it happen. Uh, I think it'd be a nice way for us to have, I think it'd be a nice way for conservative people to vote for liberal policies. Like, it'd just be a way for us to break out of this fucking gridlock. Um, as for Beto, I feel, I feel like a lot of the discourse of people asking him to run is because they don't have anyone else. Yeah. And they tried pitching, uh, Joaquin Castro, but he's moved on. He's a talking head now. He doesn't care.
2: Yeah. I like, I like the Castros. I like the Castros. I do too. I think they're both like, yeah, either engaged in other media pursuits or like focused on their work, mm-hmm. which I can, you know, get behind.
0: Yeah. They're working on their creative energies right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I don't know. It's all disappointing. If
1: Beto is the man, I'll vote for him. I'm less convinced that Matthew McConaughey is the man for the job, but I would also vote for him.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it were between, yeah, any Republican and Matthew McConaughey, but- The thing, I just want to circle back to you being like, you know, Matthew McConaughey winning on a third party would be like important 10 years ahead. And I just want to like get into the time machine and go 10 years ahead where like weed is hella legal, but everything and like all currency, the state currency of Texas is NFTs. And like, you know, it's like unrestricted data mining is going on in the valley.
0: I... I really think that NFTs will be a thing of the past within five years. I really I hope, hope so. so. God. I, I think that because they are seeing like these are unenforceable ownership rights and too many people every week are saying, Hey, my art is being illegally sold as an NFT. Like, it's it's going to get deregulated so quick. NFTs are the thing that's going to lead to the new thing. We've talked, I've talked to you about the Sony's developing a blockchain that's similar to NFTs and that it, an actual enforceable contract uh displaying your ownership of video games across all their systems, and that is what—that is the framework that NFTs are trying to build. So we can have something that's actually digital and actually enforceable in terms of its ownership, not a fucking image that you can right-click and save as. You
2: wouldn't screenshot an NFT.
0: <laughs> now I. I I'm not saying that it would be a perfect utopia, but that aspect of your dystopian future that is inevitable will not be there. (laughs) God. But weed will be legalized, and it's how we'll... um, That's how
2: we'll fund abortion. I mean, that's libertarian, right? So we're doing both of those things, which I'm definitely in favor of. But, you know, not at the expense of turning our currency into crypto mining and we're gonna, all the other things. We're
0: going to further deregulate and uh, localize our power grids. <laughs> so Only Houston will have a grid. Only Dallas will have a grid.
1: It might work better that way.
0: Oh, shit. It's either you either <laughs> okay. quad, either rejoin the
2: national grid or quadruple down. Yes, <laughs> We had two roads diverge into yellow wood.
0: Hey, if I had my own grid, you bet your bottom dollar would be working half the time. That's
1: what generators oh. are.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's 50% everyone having of the their time. own grid. Yeah. Mm, looks like I need a generator. Mm. All right. That's all I have to say. on Mike Collier. So if y'all are done, if y'all want to move on to our final topic, which is the state election that's going on. Yeah. Now, Emily, you sent us some propositions that are being voted on this year.
1: So everyone in Texas will vote on these 8 propositions and then depending on where you live, you might have some other local stuff like in Houston there's some HISD trustees, um Aleaf ISD trustees, some other kind of small stuff. So you just need to go look at your sample ballot before you go vote to see what's on your ballot. I looked mine up, it's only propositions, but I know that someone who lived Uh, two blocks away from me might get to vote on hisd trustees so just make sure you look at your sample ballot before you go you can find it at harrisvotes.org i'm pretty sure Uh, there's other places too
0: yeah or vote travis if you're in travis county yeah um i assume that this is a nationwide audience so just go ahead and look up in your particular parish if you're uh, in the swamps (laughs) or county if you're in the state
1: or your borough if you're in new york city Uh, they're not having a statewide election right now, probably. So. We're just naming different <laughs> kinds of neighborhoods now.
2: <laughs> now this is just about neighborhoods.
0: So do we want to go through these eight propositions? We're at the 43. We've got plenty of time. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I will read off of what you sent us from all my leftists live in Texas. and
1: I also sent a Tribune article if you want to be a, a little less. We already name dropped. All right. No, are cool.
0: <laughs> so uh, state prop one. The constitutional amendment authorizing the professional sports team charitable foundations of organizations sanctioned by the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association or the Women's Professional Rodeo Association to conduct charitable raffles at rodeo venues. Now, this is basically asking voters if associated charities can hold charitable raffles for their rodeo teams. It's been brought up as an amendment because unauthorized raffles could interfere with Texas's gambling laws. Charitable raffles are allowed for professional sports teams. And this would just extend that permission to certain rodeo events.
2: No problem there. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seems fine. And yeah. then, I mean, we don't have any questions about that, right? No.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we go popcorn or do you want me to read all these?
1: I'll go, what, go popcorn. I think that means we take turns. Yeah. yeah. What?
0: You never, never heard popcorn? pass the
1: popcorn. Oh, I thought it was oh, like each kernel pops on its own You time. didn't
0: go to school in Texas.
2: No, I didn't. <laughs> well, actually, I did twice. For oh. my undergraduate oh. and for my master's, Connor.
0: <laughs> you matriculated to <laughs> Texas.
2: <laughs> Please don't cancel me. Um, okay, I'll, go to, I'll do State Prop too. All right. Uh, the constitutional amendment authorizing a county to finance the development or redevelopment of transportation or infrastructure in unproductive, underdeveloped, or blighted areas in the county. Um, this gives counties the same permission as cities and towns to finance transport or infrastructure in underdeveloped areas. I think that's fine. Yep. Um, I feel like in Houston, I tend to find that, like, a proposition will be sort of worded for the city of Houston, but actually put a bunch of unnecessary roads into a suburb. Um, I don't know if this is analogous, but I like the idea that counties can sort of be more on their own control
0: for that. I am a huge proponent of local control, all in favor of that. Uh, Vote yes on Prop 2.
1: uh, Are we officially endorsing?
0: I am.
2: (laughs) 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 He's calling it.
1: (laughs) Okay. State prop three, the constitutional amendment to prohibit this state or a political subdivision of this state from prohibiting or limiting religious services of religious organizations. This was born out of the pandemic. Basically um, when the state temporarily temporarily banned gatherings in large groups at church, Um, So if passed, there could be no limit on church gatherings, regardless of public health emergencies or disasters. I recommend voting no on this one. I think uh, the state and local authorities should have the authority to limit big gatherings in case of a pandemic, um, regardless of religion involved.
0: I'm going to say no, but I definitely want I wish I had gone over the wording of the proposition. Um, I know that it was created in response to the pandemic, uh, but... I don't know. It just,
2: well, this could I really read more about it. I feel like this could be one that like the satanic church could really yeah. play on and really like yeah. frustrate the I, people who wrote I agree. Bill.
0: It's one of those things that if it passes, it'd be, there's a, fa- there's a very famous story in Louisiana about a bill that I got passed within the past 10 years, um, that would enable, uh, it was a school choice bill and it would provide vouchers for religious schools. And when it passed, uh, the woman who authored the bill was like, "I did not realize this would extend to Muslim schools." And I'm like, "Yeah, you dipshit! What do you think was gonna happen?" Oh my god! So I, it was it was one of those states that had an unintended uh, bills that had an unintended consequence. But yeah, I, I I'm curious. I just want to read the bill. All right, state prop four. The Constitutional Amendment changing the eligibility requirements for a justice of the Supreme Court, a judge of the Court of Criminal Appeals, a justice of a Court of Appeals, and a district judge. This prop would require significantly more experience practicing law in Texas in order to be eligible for election to many Texas courts. These requirements would make it much more difficult for diverse and progressive candidates to run for judge positions and would reduce choices for voters.
2: Yeah. No.
0: If that is true, I am voting no. I would, I, again, I did myself a disservice by not reading, well, how much more experience is significantly more? Well, and guess, how much um, is required right now? Well, that
2: asks the question of the wording of the prop, which is, no, you know, they are notoriously yeah. prone to being massaged.
1: So, yeah. It would require candidates to have 10 years of experience practicing law in Texas. Oh Currently, the law requires 10 years of experience but allows for out-of-state experience um additionally okay. candidates running to be a district judge would need eight years of law practice or judicial experience in a texas court um the current requirement is four years okay proponents of the change argue it could create a higher quality quality judiciary but opponents say the proposed requirements could reduce voter choice and diversity within the candidate pool this is from the texas tribune article um these things that i just read i, I agree
0: with that i feel like if this bill passed retroactively we would not have had uh Judge Lena Hidalgo. I was about yep. to say I yeah. don't think yep. Hidalgo
1: yep. could have run. Well, yep. I'm, I'm, I wonder if that's why they.
0: Maybe uh, again, a lot of a lot of charter amendments or city amendments are, or state amendments uh, are made in reaction to things that are like mm, that's really sticking in my craw. Yeah, it's, it's never let's address a systemic issue. It's yeah. like hey, let's have a knee jerk reaction. Hey,
1: this person really annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. Let's figure out how to keep people like her from doing the good job in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean. I don't know, while the Democratic Party itself like, won't throw
2: a red cent down to the state no matter who we're running, um, people individually do move down here or to states like Texas that have a reputation of a certain type to try to do this kind of work. So I feel like they may be identifying maybe a nascent mm-hmm. trend in that, and they don't want people to move down here. Yeah,
0: they want to get them Californians out of here. Yeah. No California my Texas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Prop 5.
2: Uh, Okay, so Prop 5, the Constitutional Amendment providing additional powers to the State Commission on Judicial Conduct with respect to candidates for judicial office. This would allow the State Commission on Judicial Conduct to have oversight of candidates running for judicial seats. They currently have these powers uh, over judicial office holders, so this would be an extension to people running for judicial seats. Uh, as all my leftists live in Texas say, in theory, having this extra layer of accountability sounds like a good thing. However, this prop could allow for more quote-unquote mischief during election season and wouldn't be beneficial overall." Um, I don't know exactly what kind of mischief other than, I guess, being partisan in your oversight of unelected candidates and tarnishing their name or their reputation before the election.
0: Well, me that the State Commission on Judicial Conduct operates by appointment only, hmm. and I would imagine that Greg Abbott has say over that, but I, you know, I, well, let me look that up. This is
1: one I'd like to read more about personally yeah. um, before saying whether I'm going to vote yes or no on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not clear either.
0: I'll look into it.
1: All right. State Prop 6, essential caregiver designation. So this constitutional amendment establishing a right for residents of certain facilities to designate an ex- an essential caregiver for in-person visitation. This one I feel personally passionate about. Um, It would give visitation rights to a designated essential caregiver at nursing home and assisted living facilities. After many families were unable to see their loved ones for months on end during the height of the pandemic in 2020, this prop would allow a designated person to retain visitation rights, even in pandemic-like circumstances. This one, definitely vote yes on. Um, It's good for residents of these facilities. It's good for their family members. It's good for the... Uh, people that work at these facilities who are incredibly overworked and like these essential caregivers these family members that are coming in are not just bringing flowers having a snack and leaving they're uh, assisting in bathing they're assisting in um, oversight of medication and uh, physical therapy and things like that like they are providing real services to their loved ones and it takes a big load off of the people working at these facilities who really depend on them truthfully Uh, they consider from my experience over the past year with having my mom in one of these facilities and from people i've talked to the people who work at these facilities depend on uh caregivers outside of the staff for support which is bad it's not great i wish that it wasn't the case but they do and it makes a really big difference in the quality of life of people that live there and not having access to loved ones and family members was devastating for so many people living in, in these facilities so uh i feel emotionally yeah <laughs> yeah uh, connected to this proposition and I recommend voting yes for it.
0: This is definitely one of those propositions that was a, a reaction to something, but it's also a, like you said, it's a very Good needed one. reaction. Yeah. 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 It's less a reaction and more like, Oh, we just spotted a big problem with our system. Yeah. The whole, yeah. 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 So now prop seven and eight have been lumped together. Um, and so I'll read both of them. These will be our final ones. Um, so, Prop 7. The constitutional amendment to allow the surviving spouse of a person who is disabled to receive a limitation on the school district ad valorem taxes on the spouse's residence homestead if the spouse is 55 years of age or older at the time of the person's death. Prop 8. The constitutional amendment authorizing the legislature to provide for an exemption from ad valorem taxation of all or part of the market value of the residence homestead of the surviving spouse of a member of the armed services of the United States who is killed or fatally injured in the line of duty. Now, all my leftists in Texas have said to vote no for these because, and they have a quote from the Austin Chronicle, we are all for making it easier for taxing entities in Texas to account for personal hardships. We do not think that linking favorable tax treatment to moralistic virtue signaling is the way to go. Our democracy is in crisis precisely because the people who run this place want them to preserve the benefits of good government for whom they deem the right kind of people. This is more of that, and it should be rejected. Personally, I... Highly disagree with them. I will be voting yes on Prop 7 and 8. Uh, One, I think it's really fucked up to tell the spouse of a disabled person, hey, this person that you have been likely have been caring for, for a significant chunk of your life, has died, and we are now increasing your taxes. I think that's fucking stupid. And I also feel that same way about Prop 8. In fact, I'm actually glad that they're changing the law from... Falling in combat to line of duty because there are veterans who and their spouses who get fucked out of their benefits because of that kind of legalistic nitpicking. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're way off base here. I think for them to say that this is virtue signaling, uh, before the recording, my words to Maria were they can eat my fucking ass. Like, I think that is such a dog shit excuse to say like no we can't extend tax benefits to these people who have a real financial impact on their lives after the passing of a spouse especially in in the case of the disabled spouse i'm a disabled person and i know that at one point in my life i really hope i have someone who will have to dedicate probably like a significant chunk of their week to helping me out like if i ever go deaf or if things start going wrong with my kidneys like I need someone to help me. Uh I can't afford <laughs> to have somebody take care of me like that. So if I like if I had a spouse and they do take care of me, god damn, I hope that they are able to still collect some tax benefits off of that. It's not easy to do.
1: Step 1. Bamboozle yes. someone into falling in love with you.
0: <laughs> working on it. <laughs> Going out to a show tonight, baby. Hopefully
1: hey, hey, baby, you want to be my
2: long-term yeah. together?
0: <laughs> like, ooh, ooh, I so love not being disabled in any way. Shape, or form. Like, oh, you're hot,
2: huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I think like it is true that we extend certain opportunities and benefits that, in my mind, are sort of the way that maybe a more socialistic society would work to a specific group of people. I mean, I don't begrudge the GI Bill for existing. I don't begrudge the veterans and the enlisted service members who get to have like a no-interest loan and a new house at an incredibly insane rate. But I also feel like these are things that maybe I wouldn't I don't want to reject these on that ground. But they're not wrong in observing that there is a way that we are picking and choosing who the deserving are in society. Because, of course, people who get injured and killed doing their jobs, their families deserve support. But there are a lot of jobs like that, Mm -hmm. you know, firefighters. And I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff that exists for that. So I just think the the bills themselves are good. Their point still stands, but I don't know if I would vote no on them.
1: Though
0: I'm I, not sure. I'm I'm with you. There are a lot of people who need benefits like this, and that does not mean that we should shut these people out.
1: Right. Right. Like
0: yes, we need to expand the kind of benefits that we hand out to people.
1: I mean, if maybe the, this is one step towards the benefit mm-hmm. expansion. We uh, I wish it was more inclusive towards all, and um, I wish I do. I do uh, kind of agree with this statement about virtue signaling. Um, I wish it was more inclusive, but we obviously aren't going to pass any kind of sweeping reform or legislation on this. And maybe it has to be done piecemeal and maybe this is one step in the process.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. If this is the strongest argument against voting for it, then I would vote for it. Because that's not enough to make me not want to vote for those benefits.
1: Yeah. All that being said, I'm still on the fence about it. I don't know whether I'm going to vote for it or not. And I I think it will really just be I have some reflection to do on it yeah, um, before I vote.
0: Well, if I can convince you, I think this country shits on its veterans and their families enough. And I think the Golden Star Fair. families could use a little bit more. Fair. Uh, so that's like if it were, <laughs> you know. Landlords or something I'm like fuck them. Yeah. No. Landlord
2: benefit.
0: <laughs> they're not a class yet, but they're working on it. They're kind
2: they're, of. They're are. part of one. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Well, a protected Petite class. <laughs>
2: they're
0: yeah. definitely the rentier class. Mm. Um, is that it? That's all we have to talk about.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, let's close on close up the election conversation. I was Just reminding people, look at your ballot because there is more than these propositions on mm. uh, on the ballot for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also these things are so important. <laughs> like. Uh, these small local turnout, their small local elections have miserable turnout, and uh, I argue, and many people argue, affect your life so much more than uh, voting for the president every four years. So uh, if there's anything, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say if there's anything, any questions you have about how to register to vote, where do I go, where do I find my sample ballot, you can DM me, and I will help you with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm at Emily's on Instagram, um, and you can just Google Emily Takes Notes as well, and you can find contact information there. Um, I want to do whatever I can to help people get out to vote in these local elections.
0: Yeah, Uh, and just so y'all listening know, we're recording this on the 20th, hopefully be releasing it on the 21st or 22nd, but early voting goes from Monday, October 18th to Friday, October 29th, and election day will be Tuesday, November 2nd. So please get out there, vote. Early, vote often, vote more than once. There's no penalties for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stuff that ballot box, Tammany yeah. Hall. <laughs> Have a dead family member? Vote for him. Yeah,
0: pets with human <laughs> names? Go for it.
1: <laughs> Writing Uncle Grandpa's
2: dog into my ballot in ketchup. Thank you.
1: Go red. All right. Well, I this was a good comeback. It's been so long. It, yeah. Yes,
0: it has. Uh, but... You know, it was, you're right. It was a good comeback. We should do it more often.
1: Oh. It's
0: tough. Yeah. It's tough. Life well, is hard. No,
2: no. I mean, I'm happy that we're back together. I hope we can. Yeah, I, I enjoyed yeah. getting on a regular routine. And, you know, we're super glad that you're with us, Emily, and that you're, you know, in a good place. Because we know we've had a, a few months that have been busy Rough. for you yeah, yeah not thank to you. be too extemporaneous but you know we appreciate you and we support you and we're happy that you're doing better
1: thank you mm-hmm. mom's doing better too um and that's kind of why we weren't recording as often as because i had sort of a my mom had a crazy health thing that i w- i got wrapped up in so i put it kind of just put the hold on everything including yeah. we're calling we're calling it um but yeah things are better now her next surgery is december 21st for the other one and hopefully okay. she had her has to get our other hip replaced so
0: we'll make sure to record on december 20th <laughs>
1: yeah we have gotta yeah make sure we get a couple episodes in before <laughs> yeah. december 21st
0: yes
2: well i guess uh yeah tune in for the next one but uh you will catch all three of us here hail Hardy, and happy on the next edition of we're, we're calling, calling it, it. <laughs> i love
1: it so cheesy <laughs>